is going on, Energy Strong? It is DRW here with my co-host, Mike Umbro, for the rebooted Energy Strong podcast. Mike, how are you today? I'm excellent, David. I'm just stoked to be here and excited to ramp this up with you. Yeah, you know, and you you mentioned before we came on that of all the episodes I did with the Hot Take of the Day podcast, I did not have you on as a guest. So <laughs> today's show is going to kind of be fun because you're going to be part guest, part host. We're going to tell listeners what to expect from the show. Why don't you introduce yourself? Um, not that you're you're lesser known than the infamous, um, mysterious DRW, but maybe people <laughs> don't quite know Mike Umbro, the man. Give us an intro. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be doing this with you, DRW. And, uh, you know, no hard feelings that you haven't had me on. Now we're here and I'm just excited to do it. I'm an investment banker by trade. And, uh, in 2018, I partnered up with two partners, a reservoir engineer and a petroleum engineer. We raised some money and now we're trying to develop a lease out in far West Kern County in the middle of nowhere. And so a lot of my activity on LinkedIn and social media has really been born out of, you know, watching you and what you started posting daily, which is just still blows my mind that you have a hot take of the day uh, because it's very hard to generate content daily, but it's also born out of the need to advocate for domestic energy production. And it's now just an obsession of mine. So I'm really excited to be doing this show with you. Well, and I think that we couldn't come at a better time. I think as, as people who are part of Energy Strong, and hopefully we can grow this beyond the Energy Strong community, although we welcome all comers. We welcome all forms of energy. We obviously focus on oil and gas because that's our background. I'm a petroleum engineer by trade. I guess I would now be an, I call myself an energy lobbyist, right. and I clearly do it in a slightly different way. But we have so many issues, and I think it's finally coming to the forefront that some of the energy policies that have been implemented kind of like backdoor around, don't worry, it's not going to cost anything. Don't worry, there's no downsides. Don't worry, this is good for the environment. And we've seen prices go up. We've seen availability go down. We've seen energy poverty increase. That's driving homelessness. It's driving inflation. It's driving a whole bunch of other issues. So we're going to dive into those issues weekly on the show. We're going to have some guests. We're going to read some articles. Let's start with the landscape in California. You're in Kern County. That seems like a crazy place to start an oil and gas company. Why did you pick there? What do you see? And and do you have any hope that California's rolling brownouts and blackouts and their experience with energy costs are going to change the way people think about energy? Or is it just hardcore environmentalism and, and the Michael Schellenbergers of the world are, are not having the impact we thought they might? I think it's a little bit of both in terms of the Michael Schellenberg Burgers are getting some notoriety and getting some attention, but it's still an overwhelming chorus from the environmental activists, from the NGOs that that really put, you know, personal freedom, uh, property rights, uh, the environment, really, in a lot of ways, it really put those things on the back burner for a not in my backyard policy stance and just shutting down everything. So Kern County for us was at the time a selection where we had Governor Jerry Brown in office who would allow the state to permit new wells and allow development and and was much more of a moderate Democrat. Uh, And it was also 
born out of the technical expertise of my partners. You know, both have been in the Kern County area their whole careers. Uh, our CEO has had international experience with Chevron, worked his way to a reserves advisory committee, kind of the highest technical level you can get at Chevron. And our philosophy from the beginning was let's find a lease away from the coast in Kern County in the middle of nowhere where you don't have to worry about setbacks. There are no, you know, housing communities. There's no development. We're an hour drive west of Bakersfield. So this is very remote desert. And so what we did was we high graded, you know, where we wanted to be and come to find out now that we have Gavin Newsom in office, you know, it's crazy right now. You can actually get a, a new well permitted in Monterey County and in Ventura County, but you cannot get one permitted in Kern County where 70% of our state's production takes place. So it's, it's really bizarro. You know, and, and it's funny because so Colorado is obviously trending more towards California. We've seen a lot of Californian imports. Uh, mm-hmm. We certainly see Jared Polis mirroring a lot of the policies in California. Mm-hmm. Colorado has a mandate by 2030 to be 85% carbon-free energy. Mm-hmm. That's making them do things like Comanche 3, the coal-fired power p- facility that's down by Pueblo, cost mm-hmm. Excel a huge amount of money to build in 2010. It was supposed to last until 2070. And to decrease commissioned that and a few other car, uh, coal plants early to meet these stringent regulations, they're going to charge consumers a billion dollars. Right. And that is going to show up in rates. And then they have to replace the energy with new solar transmission and farms. So they're doing $7 billion on that project and they have right. a regulated 10% rate of return. So then every year your your electricity costs will go up $700 million a year to get those returns. And Jared Polis then comes out and says to the regulators and, and the, the PUC, why, the Utilities Commission, why are you guys accepting Excel's rate increases? You're like, well, you understand it's your <laughs> regulations that's making Excel Energy do what you're telling them to do, and then you get mad, which is remarkable that that seems to be going on both sides, certainly from the Democratic Party. Biden, on the one hand, is saying, you know, you CEOs are bad. You need to get up refining capacity. And the other time, they're trying to put the Permian Basin into a non Attainment area for the EPA. Exactly. It's, it's, exactly. it's truly remarkable. So we're going to talk about those issues. I wanted to talk two things today. Yep. First was the EPA ruling uh, that mm-hmm. came out of West Virginia versus the EPA from the Supreme Court came out on June 30th. Yep. And the other was the, the response that Mike Worth and Chevron gave the president of the United States when he said, you guys are price gouging and you need to do more refining. Which topic yep. do you want to take at first? Well, uh, let's go Mike Worth. I, uh, just because that happened before the EPA uh, ruling, so we can go in order here. Okay, I love it. So <laughs> so I'm going to do a little bit of a dramatic reading. Maybe Mike okay. Worth would have sounded better, but just so everyone has heard the letter. I was really pleased with it. Mike, how did you feel when you first saw this I loved letter? it. I got fired up. I thought, you know, a lot of us out here think it's about time that the, that someone from a major oil company stepped up and had a response like that. So it was great. So for those who didn't, this is your audio book. Dear Mr. President, thank you for your letter dated June 14th, 2022. As industry leaders, academic experts, and numerous policymakers have pointed out, there are no easy fixes nor any short-term answers to the global supply demand imbalance aggravated by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Addressing this situation requires thoughtful action and it will to work together, not political rhetoric. I look forward to meeting with Secretary Granholm, and I am hopeful of constructive conversation and actions to address both near-term and long-term energy markets. 
In 2022-21, Chevron produced the highest volume of oil and gas in our 143-year history. In the first quarter of 2022, our U.S. production was 1.2 million barrels a day, up 109,000 barrels a day from the previous year uh, from the previous quarter a year earlier. In the Permian Basin alone, we expect to approach 750,000 barrels a day by the end of the year, an increase of more than 15%. And Chevron's U.S. refinery input grew to 915,000 barrels a day on average, up from 881. In addition to increasing oil and gas production, Chevron is also investing $10 billion to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and scale new advanced technologies like carbon capture and hydrogen, along with growing our renewable liquids fuel business capacity to 100,000 barrels a day by 2030. America will lead in these critical new industries, creating jobs at home and exporting them to the world to meet climate objectives. I agree with you. I think this is a phenomenal start. And and it's about time we started pushing back and calling the politicians on their rhetoric. Don't you think? Absolutely. And just, I love when you started, you know, reading the production data, it's like, we're ramping up. We're, we're doing what we can do to meet this demand. But, you know, reality can be harsh sometimes. And I think that's what a lot of our political, you know, leaders, rulers, whatever they are these days are realizing that they can't just speak a transition into existence that, you know, the rubber meets the road and, and Mike Worth, you know, does an excellent, clear, succinct job of pointing that out. Well, and I think, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to quote Alex Epstein. I was, I was at the AAPL uh, annual meeting in Chicago and he was the opening conference speaker and I was the closing one. And Mm -hmm. he sort of, you know, his platform obviously is human flourishing and fossil yeah. fuels are essential to human flourishing. And and his analogy that I actually agree with was the oil and gas companies accepting that net zero is a reasonable goal instead of pushing back on all the trade-offs or talking about mm-hmm. what a carbon tax will do. And we'll, and we'll come back to that. But he sort of said a oil and gas company accepting net zero as a goal is the same as a computer company accepting net zero computers as a reasonable goal for their company. And, right. and and I thought that that was such a good analogy because, you know, as they're trying to shut these things down, if you remember mm-hmm. in 2020, there was $3 billion included in the, in the bailout, in the, mm-hmm. the coronavirus stimulation or whatever yeah. we're going to call it to yeah. buy U.S. crude to store in the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And Chuck Schumer said it was a bailout for big industry. So instead of us buying, you know, millions of barrels at five bucks, eight bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks a barrel. We didn't do that. And now we are draining the strategic petroleum reserve that wasn't full at high prices to try and bring down prices at the same time as they want a carbon tax. Like it's, exactly. it's illogical. It's insane. It's insane. And I, I agree without what one thing I say is I don't need an ESG program because I'm CEQA compliant. Uh, the California Environmental Quality Act, if I meet those things, e, that's more ESG than any other operator in the world. Absolutely. So I don't need to tack on all these ridiculous barriers to my business. Well, and on the topic of Chevron, I believe Chevron talks about their Colorado operations that they got from Noble and they call it the, mm-hmm. the cleanest barrel mm-hmm. they have in their portfolio. So again, yeah. as we shut down activity in the US and then defer those activities, there's no such thing as no peeing in a pool or a no right. peeing section in a pool, right? And so <laughs> exactly. like it's like Australia selling coal to China when there are 350 coal plants being built worldwide to consume right. their coal in other parts of the world while shutting right. down coal in their own countries. Like it just, it's illogical. So to finish on this letter, mm-hmm. um, Mike Worth said, I want to be clear that Chevron shares your concerns that higher prices uh, of higher prices 
crisis that Americans are experiencing. And I assure you that Chevron is doing its part to help address these challenges by increasing capital expenditures to $18 billion in 2022, more than 50% higher than last year. And Exxon responded in a similar way, talking about how they went into massive debt in 2020 and, and are still <laughs> digging out from that in order to ramp up their capital program where they've spent tremendously more ramping up than they have buying back shares or paying dividends. So, so I love this. I love this letter. I love seeing the companies start using their platforms. It's one of the Mm -hmm. things that I, I was really attracted to with energy strong and why I wanted to be part of rebuilding this podcast was they have been advocating from the grassroots level for many of these discussions right from Mm -hmm. the beginning. How do you think that the big CEOs can, can maybe take the the baton and do a better job of pushing back if at all, what what do you see as the role? Maybe it's television ads, maybe Mm -hmm. it's getting on CNBC every Every time and explaining the realities of energy. Well, how would you how would you do it if you were in their shoes? Yeah, I think I think advertising would be good. I think one of the biggest things we need is for them to empower their employees to speak. I, I feel like I see a lot of people face to face that will give me comments if they're from a bigger operation, but you know they're not. They're not someone like me, like an independent scrappy person, you know, that's hungry. That's like, this is my survival. So I'm going to speak. They, they have good jobs. I get it. They want to protect those jobs, but I think there's so much talent and mind, you know, computing power in these minds of the people in our industry that we're not allowing them to speak. And our opposition on the activist side is just louder. They don't have the science. They don't have the facts. They're just noisy and they complain and it gets through to the politicians. And and I feel like we're not making enough noise and I, I smart think that's noise. A great, yeah, absolutely. I think that that's great. And, and speaking to activists, and I think this is a good topic before we pivot to talk the EPA. So um, one of the Substack articles I read, and I strongly encourage you know people to read all forms of, of input, but the Substack independent journalism is really, to me, a step above mainstream media. Because mainstream media is clearly funded by the advertising revenue. And so I use the example, CNN would bring you a segment on Anderson Cooper brought to you by Pfizer. And then Anderson Cooper would say (laughs) the vaccines are safe and effective. And you're like, like you realize they are paying for advertising space. And then the host is giving advertising space. Like they realize that. Right. (laughs) But so, so this morning on the Barry Weiss, they actually, there's a lot of evidence that, that there are Chinese controlled American like fake accounts Mm -hmm. that make it look like they're an environmental activist. And so they're coming out against mining and against oil and gas and against fracking. And and like, these are, these are agents of, of China and Russia that are encouraging environmentalism because if you reduce supply in the United States, demand remains the same, then prices have to go up and that all flows to China and Russia. So I thought that was interesting. And on the same token, as we just came through the primaries and and politics is as much as we want to keep politics separate politics is energy and mm-hmm. energy is politics and mm-hmm. if we don't have those conversations honestly we're never going to make progress but what the democrats have started doing is they're funding extreme right-wing candidates and so in colorado 10 million dollars poured into the campaigns of uh ron hanks who was running against uh joe day for senate mm-hmm. and um robert gomez i believe is his name who was running against Heidi Ganahl. So you have 
$10 million of dark money supporting the extreme right wing candidate because the extreme right wing would be easier to beat. Mm -hmm. But in Colorado, the moderates actually both won, Mm -hmm. which might be a sign that we're moving back to the middle and would be an excellent, excellent move forward. But again, we have to talk, don't you think? Right. Absolutely. And we saw a similar thing. Well, I guess it's not quite the same, but here there were articles that said Gavin Newsom was kind of pumping Senator Brian Dahl, who is the Republican candidate running against him because he he wanted to give attention to Dahl. So Schellenberger didn't get as much attention because he was actually fearful of running against mm-hmm. Schellenberger. So it's it's just so fascinating, the gamesmanship and, and how they do these things with the money and the, you know, the writing bills. And he actually Newsom signed one of Dahl's bills like two weeks ago. It's just so bizarre. <laughs> Right. I mean, and, and it is, it's all games. It's all narrative. It's all management, which pivots us to talk about the EPA, which is where we're going to close. So mm-hmm. there was a case before the Supreme Court. It was West Virginia versus the EPA. The Supreme Court ruling itself is actually very interesting because the the it was brought forward, I believe, in 2015. Trump in 2016 rolled it back. Biden got in. And so, so the Supreme Court is actually ruling on a rule that hasn't yet been implemented. Mm-hmm. But, but the Supreme Court themselves said, just because it's not been implemented implemented doesn't mean it's a moot case because the government has not said that they will never implement it. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it is relevant. And mm-hmm. what they found was that the EPA was stretching its authority to treat CO2 as a as a toxic pollutant mm-hmm. because it's not on the list of actual pollutants. Mm-hmm. But yet they tried to regulate it and the Supreme Court said, nah, if you want to do something, you have to do it in Congress. You can't do it by OSHA, by CDC, by EPA. And it was a huge ruling in terms of judicial rule of law versus Congress. Right. What did you make of it? How do you feel about that go forward? And, and are you encouraged? I, I think I am encouraged. I think it's a good thing to make Congress, you know, think through these problems and think through the climate rather than just claim CO2 levels are doomsday for all and then start mandating, uh, you know, our power mix through through this just, you know, it's not nonsense. But one thing that I see here that I'm hopeful for is, for example, the the California Air Resources Board has their scoping plan. And so they kind of design a lot of these similar things that the EPA was trying to do in terms of carbon emissions, but they don't track actual pollutants. So in our case, you track the CO2 domestically, but then you don't track the pollution coming into our ports. So it totally distorts what we think we're doing to help the environment. And it's really detrimental to local communities and local businesses. And I think that was another piece of the case that said, look, you're going to have far reaching damages to disadvantaged communities, to those that can't afford the high cost of this lower carbon energy. Um, So I think it's very important to just push the brakes on these overreaching agencies that do not necessarily have science backing up their claims in a lot of these cases. So I I think it's, I think it's a good thing to take a step back. And, and I think, you know, a lot of people that are saying, Oh, this is the death to the environmental movement, or that, you know, this is just so detrimental to the environment. I think we just need to slow down and just let the process work its way through and everything's going to be just fine. And, the United States will still be the leading, you know, superpower that is reducing emissions. So we're still going to be the best in the world. And and we don't need to 
freak out over the the Supreme Court's ruling. Well, it is it is remarkable that the U.S. has reduced our emissions by roughly 15 percent since 2005. And that is forgotten. And when you take the combined emissions of Europe and the United States, they're 8.6 billion tons a year as compared to China, who has net zero cares about CO2 emissions <laughs> as they grow their their uh, economies. Last right. point, um, California has now put $17 billion towards $1,000 stimmy checks because mm-hmm. they didn't realize that it was all of the stimmy checks that created the inflation that's now making everything 10, 15, 20% more expensive than it was. And so as they've tried to cancel oil and gas production and gasoline use, they're now paying a thousand dollars to California residents who make under like half a million dollars to right. offset the high cost of energy that their policies have created. Is this not crazy to you? Like what is going on? It's absolutely crazy to me. I think it's just a total waste of taxpayer money. The only reason we have a surplus in this state is due to, you know, federal COVID relief and capital gains because everybody in Silicon Valley's just been ripping it with the market lately and they're paying cap gains. And when when the recession really takes hold, I think we're we're truly as California is going to see what our state is made of. Now we're the fifth largest economy in the world. And even with the mandates to ban internal combustion engines by 2035, even with the mandates for our clean power, the projections, the EIA says we're still going to be consuming a million barrels a day in California. Once all that is implemented right now, we consume 1.8 million barrels a day. We consume more gasoline than any other state. We consume more jet fuel than any other state. And so there's this whole misconception that California is all of a sudden going electric in everything. And oh, the prices of your electricity rates, don't worry that SDG&E has the highest rates in the country and PG&E is right behind them. And we have the most homeless. We have the, you know, it's just, it's, all starting to unravel. And, you know, I just think it's, it's, it's sad to say, but everybody's just going to have to hunker down, uh, try to save your money where you can, because I think it's going to get worse. I think we're going to have $10 gasoline before this all kind of (laughs) peaks. Hopefully it peaks at $10 gasoline. And I think people are going to have enough and they're really going to start looking into what politicians are telling us versus what's actually happening. So I hope that's one of my goals with the, with this show with you is to really educate myself, educate people outside of the industry. And I I think, as you said earlier, hopefully we can take this outside of energy strong. It's doing a great job getting a following on LinkedIn, but hopefully we can get people outside of our industry to start listening to the data and the facts that we have to share. Well, fortunately or unfortunately for Europeans, but fortunately for us, we're going to have the canary in the coal mine as they are reactivating nuclear facilities that they had planned to get rid of. They're reactivating coal plants. They are starved for energy. And and I've said it before, I'll say it again. Gasoline will continue to go higher. Oil will continue to go higher. Natural gas will continue to go higher. The only chance that the world has to see those prices come down is to remove the sanctions on Russia because they produce 10% of the world's oil and 40% of Europe's natural gas imports. And there is just no way around that as we head to winter. So Europe is going to be a cold, dark, jobless place until energy policy starts reflecting reality rather than using fairy dust and unicorn uh 
bifurcation <laughs> as your power source. I was wondering where you're going to go with that one. <laughs> yeah, well, I try. We're, we're going to keep this clean. We're going to keep this for the kids. Uh, I appreciate your time. I'm really excited to be co-hosting this show with you. Likewise. Thank you to everyone in Energy Strong today, to the future members of Energy Strong, and to everyone in all energy industries that are bringing the world the energy that we need. The truth is we need all forms of energy, not less, in order for all us to have human flourishing. Until next time, be safe, be good, have a great day, and bye for now. Adios.